I've learned that you can make money work for you, um, that you have to take risks and that you have to invest in the things that you care about, like your business, for example, or just some things that you value. As long as you identify what you value, it's okay to spend money. Hi guys, we're your hosts, Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. More money, more problems. She works hard for her money. If I had a million dollars. Bitch better have my money. Clearly, money is on everyone's minds, but most of us can't seem to make sense of how to manage it. And people still don't know how to talk about it. And especially now, as we all navigate the effects of the coronavirus on both the economy and the workforce. So today, we're diving into money management and the psychology behind how we spend our money with finance expert Melissa Leung. So we spoke with Melissa a while ago before the coronavirus hit, so our conversation isn't specifically about the current financial climate, but her advice on saving, spending, and improving your relationship with money is more relevant than ever, so keep listening. And we know that money might be tight right now for a lot of us. These are stressful times financially, so please make sure that you're consulting with a financial advisor or a trusted expert if you do need help. And make sure you're taking advantage of any financial resources that you might be eligible for, like the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, if your income has been affected by COVID-19. So we both grew up in families where we didn't really openly discuss money. It was a bit of a taboo subject, and we weren't learning it in school. Financial literacy wasn't taught in high school and Mm -hmm. wasn't in my degree in university. So we've been navigating it blindly till our mid to late 20s with no resources. It's true. And I didn't start to get my finances together till about my mid-20s. But between the two of us, we wanted to share five key things that helped us get our financial shit together. So the first step from our personal experience was figuring out what our fixed costs were and what our after-tax income is. So fixed costs are your student loans, your mortgage, your rent, your hydro, internet, insurance, basically all the things that you have to pay down each month. And you want to ensure that these costs are covered in your budget and that you're chipping away at being debt-free. And then your after-tax income is what you're actually taking home on your paycheck. And that seems pretty obvious, but I, when I was looking at like a, a mortgage calculator online, I was inputting my salary and using that to figure out what I could afford. I wasn't mm-hmm. inputting my after-tax income. And you can go online and find your provincial or state calculators to figure out just how much you're going to take home each month. And we can link them in the show notes for you as well. The other thing that we've done is tracking our spending for one to three months, although three months is more advisable because... One month might be an anomaly, lots of birthdays or the holidays. Mm -hmm. So three months gives you a great overview into your spending habits. And we like to use apps to make that easier. So I use TD MySpend and it's super helpful. It breaks it down into needs and wants and categories like how much you're spending on food, on entertainment, on transportation, all that stuff. And once you know where your money's going, you'll have a better idea of where you might need to cut back. And if you're spending a bunch of money on something that's not actually a money value, then you can reevaluate. Because most of us are just kind of like operating without any idea of what our habits are and what we're doing. One of my friends, she couldn't figure out why she wasn't saving any money when she didn't really have any fixed costs. And we opened up her TD My Spend app and the amount that she was spending on shopping was 
pretty shocking, pretty eye-opening, but wouldn't have known that if we hadn't looked. It's true. That's the amazing thing about these apps is they're not going to bullshit you. They're going to show you every single thing you've spent. Give you a good, hard, cold yeah. look into <laughs> into your life. It's true. Um, so I use Quicken, which uh, is very similar to TD My Spend in the sense that it breaks things down into categories. But what I love about it is it will sync my investments, my credit cards. So it doesn't just have to be TD. Um, That's great. And it gives you that that cold, hard truth of, of where your money's going. Once you know how much you make and how much you spend, prioritize building up your emergency fund, especially right now when there's so much economic uncertainty and job instability in the near future. It's so important to save up and contribute to that emergency fund. It could really save your ass in the future. So aim to have three months of living expenses saved up if you can. And the next tip that's helped us with our finances is getting clear on what our money values are. So your money values are basically the things that you are comfortable spending money on. And we're both cutting back and saving up right now, as are a lot of us, but you can still figure out the things that matter most to you. So after you've figured out how much money you actually take home and you've deducted all your fixed costs, paid down your debts, and all those other keeping the lights on obligations, you can then look at allocating the rest of your money to those money values. So for me, one of my biggest money values is travel. And even though Gabe and I will not be traveling anywhere anytime soon, I'm still saving up for when we're all able to travel again. Same. Travel is such a big one for me. I can't wait till we can do it again. (laughs) And honestly, Ubers and transportation have always been where a lot of my spending money goes because that's just a big money value of mine. But obviously, I've cut back on that entirely. And I've been using this time to invest in some courses and creative programs and just like general self-help and audiobooks because those kinds of experiences have always been big money values and the payoff is big for me right now. Love that. Totally agree. Lastly, you want to find a goal and stick to it. It is really hard to save if you don't know what you're saving for. So whether it's a new car or a down payment on a home or an exciting new trip, you just need to get clear what your goals are so that you can have some purpose behind all of your saving. But we're not the experts. So we called in the financial guru we all need in our lives, Melissa Leong. She's the author of Happy Go Money, a best-selling book that tackles the relationship between money and happiness. And she's a finance expert on Canada's leading daytime talk show, The Social. She actually makes figuring out your finances fun, approachable, and easy to understand. Teach us how to manage our money, Melissa. We loved your book and found that it was really approachable and accessible for people who are trying to understand their money values and trying to get a better grasp on happiness and on their finances. And so Happy Go Money, it focuses on the connection between happiness and money. Can you tell us a bit more about what you found about the psychology of money? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I wrote it because I wanted to... I wanted people to get into to have a conversation with themselves about their relationship with their money because I think often we think of money and it's super stressful. Uh, we have this script that you just automatically have in your brain when it comes to money, right? Often it's maybe from your parents. Like, you know, what's something that your parents taught you guys about money that you don't know why you believe that? It's just maybe from childhood. I've always felt very ignorant and like I haven't had a keen interest because money was a bit of a taboo topic. I didn't get a very good education on it. And I feel like I came from a very conservative family when it came to finances. Like we didn't have conversations about investing or how to spend. The fact that you guys didn't talk about it 
it that means something that has created some sort of um, a lack of confidence or that it was taboo or that it was something that you didn't discuss. And people carry that, right? You carry that your entire life. The things that you learned when you were young or the things you didn't learn when you were young, it it helps to empower you or not empower you. So especially with money, uh, it's not just about dollars and cents, right? It's about it's tied to vanity, it's tied to pride, your values, your worth. And so when we talk about money, uh, I can't just hand somebody a budget and say, go, you're going to be great. It's going to be fabulous without having a conversation with them first about, okay, let's first of all talk about how you use money because money is just a tool. It actually has no meaning. You give it meaning and what meaning are you giving money? Right. That makes sense. And it's there's so much tied in everyone's psychology and emotional well-being to money. And that can be a really positive thing or it can carry shame. It can carry a lot of connotations. So it's good to approach budgeting and finances first from the point of view of like, what is it? What's my relationship with money? And let's sort that out. Yeah, just sort of asking people are like, what does that even mean? It just means, you know, what do you think about it automatically when somebody mentions money? What are the words that go through your head when somebody says, "Hey, you know, let's 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 talk about money a little bit." Are you freaked out? Are you stressed? Um, do you think, you know, do you automatically think things like, "Oh, I'll never make a lot of money," or or rich people are jerks, or just those automatic things that seem to come up? And do you feel negative about money, or do you feel positive about money? Those are some of the indicators about how you approach it. And it could either harm or help you when it comes to building wealth. When I first met my husband, he was born in Brazil. So he comes from a very open, like Latino family. And he's so open about money and his entire family is like, I'd be over for family dinners and they would just be talking about openly about all their financial things that they're going through. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is amazing. And he is such an incredible relationship and thought towards money too, because of that, that I feel like the more you're open about it, I think the better it can be to some degree. Absolutely. Especially with women, especially with young women. I think one of the things that I always say is that by the end of the day, have one conversation about money with somebody that you trust, a friend, uh, maybe a coworker, your your work wife, (laughs) whatever (laughs) it is, just talk about money, whether it's just a goal, isn't it? You don't have to say, hey, what do you hey, what do you make? Or what's your salary? But talking about a money goal or did you um hey guys, do you I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to top up my mortgage. Do you got do you know anything about that? Do you know anyone who has, you know, made some headway in this kind of money goal? So it makes it okay for somebody else to reveal their truths. It makes it okay to talk about money and together we can empower each other to make that conversation easier. And plus, you know, according to research, when you have peer support, when you have the support of friends, your goals are met a lot easier. That's a great point. That's true. And approaching it from a goal perspective is really helpful. I feel like when I was saving for a down payment um, to buy a home, I felt like I, I felt kind of guilty, like I was being very cheap around my friends and I didn't know how to talk about it. And I just felt like I was never down to do things and I couldn't afford to do the things I wanted to do because I had goals, but I didn't approach it in a positive way. Like looking back, I wish I had been like, hey guys, here are my goals. I would love some support and I would just love for you guys to understand what I'm saving for and kind of what I'm aiming for right now. But instead I was just like, oh, I can't do that right now. It's not in my budget. Right. There's a reason why we talk about money the way we talk about it, right? Either we felt um, judged or we didn't feel safe or – and I think your friends, they, they want the best for you. I mean, the good ones do. And so you do have some friends who kind of 
make you feel like you need to keep up with the Joneses or some who are super judgy. And mm-hmm. um, that's unfortunate because when we judge others, it makes it actually means that we're judging ourselves more harshly according to according to researchers. So surround yourself with people who are affirming. Surround yourself with people who will say, hey, you know what? So-and-so, she's trying to save money for this big trip next year. So why don't we all, um, instead of gifts this Christmas or this holiday season, let's just all go out and do a potluck or something. So have you always been this positive about money? Like, has this always been sort of oh my your, gosh, your no. mindset? I, <laughs> my parents are um, they are super hardworking. They're, they're immigrants from China. We have a family restaurant. My dad worked all day at his government job and then he'd work evenings, weekends at the family restaurant. And my mom would raise the children. She would sew on the side. My grandparents were, were you know, my grandmother was a factory worker. She rode the bus in blizzard conditions, uh, to work all day at a sewing factory. And so what I learned about money was that it was a finite resource and it was something to toil for, right? And you just had to hoard it because it was so hard to make it. And as I have educated myself, as I have married someone who has a very different philosophy about money than I do, I've learned that you can make money work for you, um, that you have to take risks and that you have to invest in the things that you care about, like your business, for example, or just some things that you value. As long as you identify what you value, it's okay to spend money. Before, I think I was just uber cheap and <laughs> that wasn't making me happy either, right? So it is about balance with with a little bit of strategy. This is like a perfect segue because I know that you have said that money can buy happiness. You just need to know how to spend it. And I guess a lot of that too is coming up with what matters to you and what your money values are. So can you explain that sort of philosophy a little bit to our audience? Part of being an adult is making choices. And personal finance is just is all about choices. We are all different. No one, no one can tell you not to do something. Do not let anyone tell you that you can't buy that latte if you really love to have that latte. It's not about that. It's not about counting every single penny that goes out your door. It's about choosing something that you enjoy, something that you value, determining what it makes you happy, and then allocating your resources to that, and then sacrificing elsewhere. So if, for example, you think, you know what, these are the three things I value most in my life. Let me devote my time and my resources to that. Everything else can go by the wayside, I suppose, it, 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 um, you know, if you have a specific goal, for example. So if you have a goal by the end of the year, I hate feeling stressed about my credit card debt. So I'm going to spend the year just tackling that sucker. That means, let's see, what do I value? I value my family. I value my friends and I value creativity. So I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep trying to allocate money to seeing my friends and going out with them. I'm going to keep spending money on this this, um, painting course or this photography session that I want to do. But you know what? I don't really care so much. Or the values that surround like, I don't know, um, manicures or, or shopping for random clothes or whatever. It's not it's not core to who I am. That's not what I value. So I really should stop spending my money on that stuff. Right. So can you walk us through Budgeting 101 for anyone out there who has never created a budget before and doesn't really know how to go about it? And are there any tips on how to stick to it? We're going to talk about it without using the B word because that makes people just fall asleep instantly. Um, I'm going to talk about it 
in the, in this in the sense of creating a strategy for your money. So you have to know the inflow and the outflow of your money to figure out whether or not you're actually spending on a, on stuff that's important to you. And so budgeting is just figuring out how much comes in. Look at your paycheck. If you are self-employed, estimate how much you think you make in a certain month or a certain year, if that makes it easier for sort of a year salary. And then go through your bills, at least just for a month to start. Maybe not, you know, during the holidays where you're, you know, overspending and say gifts, but say, you know, a regular month, I don't know, month of September or whatnot, your credit card statements, your debit card, um, your bank account statements, and just see what you're spending on. Hopefully you are earning more than you spend (laughs) because that is the key to financial success. I don't care what anybody tells you, they can give you a hot stock tip, but the key to financial success at the end of the day earning more than you spend. So once you figure out what you spend on the stuff that you need to live, like the stuff that you just can't go without, like the roof over your head, um, the food that comes in that you need to eat, the lights so that you can uh, see your food and eat, <laughs> that's your needs basically. And then you're going to break out another category when you're you know, writing it on a sheet of paper or doing it in a spreadsheet, however you like to do it. There's lots of things you can download online if you want an automated spreadsheet. Then you're going to see what you need for, quote unquote need, for fun. What are you, Where are you spending your money that you don't really need to be spending your money? And that's usually the place where you can make changes. Right. And do you have any recommendations on like savings goals for people who are just starting out on trying to save money or like emergency fund tips? Absolutely. So when you're doing your so-called spending plan, your your strategic plan for your money, I include savings into the necessary things. So I need to pay rent. I need to pay my mortgage. I also need to save. And so when you think about your mortgage, you think about your, your rent, a lot of those things are automated. And my savings are also automated. It is so hard to wait till the end of the month to see what you have left and think, oh, okay, I can put this aside for the future. No, no, no. Start with an automation. So many of us have, do you guys, do you automate your savings? I'm pretty good. I got, got that Latino husband that is keeping us in check. But it, uh, no, I should, because a lot of banks allow you to do that in your in your savings or checkings account to just automatically withdraw I don't know, 10% or Absolutely. $100. Absolutely. Every whatever. bank, every bank, every robo-advisor, which is just a, a program or a, a service that basically uh, uh, invests your money for you in, in a group of mm-hmm. funds, they will allow you to set up an automatic deduction. It takes minutes to set up. Um, and people think, well, I don't, I don't know how much to put away. I don't know. Just pick a small amount. Pick a small amount. Look at your budget. Look at your spending plan and see what kind of wiggle room you have and start, especially if you're young. When I say young, I don't know, like in your early 20s. If you start, I promise you that the savings habits that you are establishing now will set you up for when you are older. You need to start earlier. You need to have started saving yesterday, 10 years ago. (laughs) So if you can start right now, set up something automatic, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's $5. I don't care if it's $20, $50, and then set yourself a calendar reminder to bump it up a tiny bit by five bucks, say every few months, see if you just keep bumping it up. I promise you, you're not going to notice that the money's gone and that will go to your goals. You need to be putting money aside for 
uh, short-term goals, like for example, if you have a wedding, and long-term goals, like retirement. No one is going to look after you but you. And I know people are like, retirement so far away. I don't even <laughs> want to do that. No, no, no. We're talking about just options, freedom. So I don't, I, you know, you may not want to work until you're 75. You might want to, you know, quit and live a life that that is on your own terms earlier. You need to save money for that. The other thing to save money for is an emergency fund. You don't know when life is going to turn sour. And you know what? Guess what? It's life. It goes up. It goes down. There are good times. There are bad times. You don't want money to make your life's problems even worse, right? If you have, uh, if you lose your job, if you have a health issue, having money issues would make everything so much worse. So you need to set aside some money depending on whether you have a, I don't know if you're a freelancer, then you need a little bit more, but you need to set aside say three months of living expenses that will just cover you so you're not on the streets. You need to pay your, you need to be able to pay your mortgage. So put that aside. Yeah. And it just gives you that sense of comfort that if you ever wanted to, if you were in a position where you're in a job you don't like and you just want to get out, mm-hmm. you have that freedom there that you've got a safety net for the next three months, you can find something else that'll make you a little bit happier. I can't tell you how many times my friends have some story and it's just some random story. Oh my gosh, my cat ate dental floss and the surgery was too grand. I found everyone I know who has an emergency fund has literally dumped it out for their pets and it's a great way to spend it because pets are love and amazing. Sure. Yes, those things blindside you or like a car breakdown or all these things that you just don't know. And then you're like, ah, that's a few thousand dollars that I have not saved for whatsoever. And so where Mm. are you going to get it from? You're going to get it from your credit card and with a 20% interest rate on it, that is going to hurt. (laughs) Or if you have a line of credit, but it's still debt, right? It's still stressful. What about uh, company RSP programs or employee share pr- programs. Do you think that those are, I mean, I've, I've had the privilege at my last or two companies that I've worked at. Um, they've had RSP programs that I've taken advantage of, but I think it can be a little bit daunting to some people. How do you feel about those, those corporate programs? I think any program where you are essentially getting free money is Go, run, run there now. Like flip your desk (laughs) and run to HR. Like that's what I would say. Because not everyone is fortunate enough to have that kind of fabulous opportunity where somebody's basically saying, oh, you know what? If you sign up for this matching program, if you contribute money to your for your retirement, we will match a portion of it. We're just going to give you money for your retirement. And you're like, what? Nobody gives me anything for free. So this is <laughs> an example where you need to be taking full advantage of that. And so I, I know it can seem overwhelming, but that's what HR is for. They're there to answer all of your questions. You don't have to tell anyone. You just walk there and set up a meeting, send an email, like right now. Literally, you're listening to this. Well, maybe after the after the podcast is over, send an email to make sure you know what the terms are. Am I signed up? Am I giving? What is the max? How much can I be uh, contributing? Can I automate it? How do I set this up? By the way, do you have you know any kind of life insurance or disability insurance that I could also sign up for on a cheap? Talk to your coworkers about it if you trust them. You're like, hey, are you signed up for this? Like, what was the process? Get out, get on that. God, I wish I was having these conversations four years ago, but I just wasn't. Like I'm I'm 28 and I'm just starting to be like, oh, wow, am I leaving money on the table? And the answer is yes. And am I <laughs> making smart choices? No. But I think you just have to get to the point where it's 
it's valuable for you to learn more and then and then you're invested. It's yeah. never too late. Just that it's that's life is that I'm I'm sure we can all look back and regret the things that we've done in the past, but I mean, we made the choices that we made based on the situation at the mm-hmm. time. We did our best. So the thing is now is that we're trying to empower you with information. This podcast, me, I'm trying to give you information so that you can make better choices, but it is up to you to actually take action. Everything is overwhelming at the start. Think of anything that you've ever done the very first day of whatever, soccer, school, you know, this course, um, whatever it is. It was always tough and you always felt like a fish out of water. But the second step is a little bit easier in the third step. So you just have to take that one. Yeah, that's true. I really hope all of our listeners, they better like comment when we post this, their RSP program at their company, and they are just taking advantage of that free money. And maybe setting up an automatic automatic savings plan if they don't have one, or if they already have one, bumping it up. Please find me on Instagram, message me, tell me that you're doing this. I, I will start doing that from now on, Melissa. <laughs> the only thing that I was doing before was I had like an automatic deposit every time I used my debit from my checkings account, a few dollars would go into my savings accounts. And you know what? Your bank, there are several banks that have different kinds of programs like that where you have the choice to round up to the next $1 or $5 and that the difference from those purchases goes into a separate savings account or every purchase that you make, it actually adds this amount of money. Um, and there are some, there are new services, there are apps now that if you use them, um, they will round up and then invest the difference. So there are a lot of things out there. It's just you're, as a consumer, you just have to look at what, what is available to you. I mean, looking using your bank app is probably the number one easiest thing you can start doing right now, just to be more aware of what your balance is, what you're spending on, to be more conscious of the uh, inflow and outflow of your money. You should be checking your bank account on a regular basis anyways to make sure that there are no errors um, and with your credit card. But that's another way to see, Listen, hey, let me just look into what kind of services are even just already available to me that I'm not taking full advantage Absolutely. of. So- Jumping back to the correlation between money and happiness, do you feel that there is a threshold um, in terms of household income that you have to make to achieve that level of happiness? I know for me personally, I always thought, okay, if I make X amount, that means I've made it and I'm happy. Um, And then when I eventually got to that amount, I was like, wow, I don't feel any happier. In fact, I'm a little bit more stressed. So can you tell us a little bit about that threshold and what you found in your research throughout writing your book? Okay, so I'm going to tell you the magic number, the so-called magic number that researchers have trotted out over the years. I mean, many, many studies have been done to try to find this number. And then I'm going to tell you the reality of what, what this means. So the number that they've given is about when it comes to happiness, we're talking about two things. We're talking about the way that you feel day to day. So your satisfaction, I'm sorry, your, your, just your happiness on a day to day basis. And then your life satisfaction. That's like a judgment of your life. So when it comes to day to day happiness, how you feel right now listening to this podcast, that threshold is about 60 to $75,000 US per single family or so, so per household. That's pre tax. And when it comes to life satisfaction, the number is closer to 90 thousand dollars US. Okay. So these are these numbers. It doesn't mean that you need to make exactly this amount. You're going to be optimally happy. What this really is showing is that you need to cover your basics. You need to have roof over your head. You need to be able to not worry that the collections and collection agencies are calling you. You need to have a base to survive. 
However, any more money above these thresholds is interestingly associated with a decline in happiness because like you said, you may be working more, so it's more stressful. You're also probably focusing on other things that are maybe not as affirming, like comparing yourself to others, more material goods. And at the end of the day, because we are humans, we have this wonderful thing called hedonic adaptation. It just means that whatever it is that you get, you often just get used to it and that you return to a baseline of happiness. You win the lottery, yay! Oh, you go back to your baseline of happiness. You fall down the stairs and you break your leg, that sucks, but you eventually go back to your baseline of happiness even if you're even as you're recovering. So, when people ask, what is this magic number? No matter what number you think in your head right now, if I said, what number do you need to have on your paycheck to be a perfect 10 on the happiness scale? Studies show that no matter what number you have, no matter what you make, you'll want double. But then when you get to double, you'll yeah, want yeah. double. It's, a moving target. <laughs> so it's this never-ending quest for happiness. So the question of how much do I need or the, the phrase, if I only did this, if I had a raise, if I just had my dream house, if I make this amount of money, I will be happy, is actually a fallacy. If you want to use that kind of language and for it to be more effective, then you should say, well, if I make this amount, then I will achieve this specific goal. So that makes it about not about happiness because that's a futile quest. It makes it about doing something tangible and helpful to your life. So if I make this amount, hey, look, I can allocate this amount more money to my debt repayment a month, or I could pay off my mortgage a lot faster, or I could get to the retirement that I want. Those are very specific things. It's not about joy. <laughs> True. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I know. Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, there was no, just from my own personal experience, there was literally no increase in happiness when I finally got that job and hit that level. It was like, oh no, I got to work a lot longer and yeah. harder. And there's no such thing as free money, except for that RSP, RSP friends. <laughs> Sign up for that. <laughs> I say work. I say work. I say hustle for the things that you care about. Have tangible goals with timestamps on them, but do not make happiness your goal for anything because happiness is actually a journey. It's not something that you just achieve. It's just, we're all just trying. <laughs> we're all just trying to be happy. There are many things, according to science, that will make you happier in your day-to-day -day life. Very few of them are things that you can actually uh, physically acquire, right. I suppose. There are lots of things that make people happy, but if you think like what you spend your money on, often what people spend their money on is to um, alleviate some sort of pain. So if you think about it and you think that you have a negative uh, relationship with money, it's probably because, okay, think of the last three unplanned purchases you made. Why did you make those how did you feel before? How did you feel after? Were you feeling stressed and you wanted retail therapy? Because that's a thing because you get this burst of a dopamine when you buy something. It feels great and then it dissipates and then you need more of it. Or were you feeling like, oh, I just feel you know crappy and my boyfriend broke up with me. I need to buy this thing so I can feel better about myself so he'll see me and he'll see like that he made a huge mistake. Or are you buying it because you need confidence? You need self-worth? You think if I, if I have this, if I make this, people will think I'm successful. You know, these are the things that we often tell ourselves and that is not actually what will make you feel more worthwhile. It's not what will alleviate your stress. We're buying as a symptom of something. You need to fill your void before you think, oh, I'm going to use a budget. 
<laughs> you know, I'm going to fix my spending habit. Okay, well, maybe we should work on if you spend because you're stressed, let's work on the stress, right? Then spend your money on some meditation classes. Let's um, spend your money on um, spending more time with your loved ones or on experiences. Because if you feel crappy when you buy a certain thing, then spend it on something that bonds you to people. Like experiences are more um, – they give you greater bang for your buck than, say, buying a, a thing that is usually enjoyed alone. So in terms of the language we use when we talk about money, I kind of touched on that earlier with you know how I addressed my – budgeting goals for a down payment and how I kind of wish I had addressed it. But how can we flip the script and speak about money more positively to ourselves and to other people? I think just being aware of the way that you automatically talk about your money is the first huge hurdle. Sometimes we just live life and we don't even listen to our internal dialogue, right? We're so down on ourselves sometimes, even just the language that we use about ourselves. We're like, oh, you know, I suck or I'm never going to do this or I, can, I can't get this or I'm not good at money or I don't know anything about investing. How am I ever going to save enough money? And there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of guilt. And so being aware of how you put yourself down when it comes to finances is probably a first step. Talking to other people um, and sharing your truth and being uh, having a commitment to saying, you know what, guys, let's all talk about ourselves and talking and to talk about money in a more empowering way. Let's do that. Let's just flip it. So instead of saying you're broke, just say that you're working on some goals. You know, I'm working on paying down my debt. You're not broke. You're 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 working on something. That will be a lot more helpful. I mean, I don't feel empowered when somebody bullies me. So if you're bullying yourself in your mind, that is it's yeah. just you're doing and yourself a disservice. Not, it doesn't make you have a healthy relationship with your finances cuz you're just shrouding your finances in guilt and bullying and shame and all of these things as opposed to putting a positive spin on it. Often, confidence mm -hmm. comes from doing something. So if you can take a small action, even the smallest thing, that will give you a little bit of a boost. And then you can use that boost to build on it, right? It's hard to be like, it's hard to say to yourself, oh, I'm just doing nothing for myself. And then really do nothing for yourself. You know, if you decide... I'm going to start saving just a little bit of money, whatever it is. I don't know. Just, every single time I see a $5 bill, I'm going to stick it in this jar or I'm going to put it away. And then by the end of several months, I'm going to have enough money to you know, be in my best friend's wedding and not be so far behind right, in, in the hole to mm -hmm. be able to like, get the dress and the makeup and all this stuff. So whatever it is, some small action. you know, Even if it's thinking about, you know what, I do kind of want to get more proactive about investing my money. Okay, I don't know anything about investing. How about this? Just just if you want to invest your money, do you want to do it yourself or do you want to do it with someone? If you want to do it yourself, then that is a journey that you're going to take. If you want to do it with someone, okay, well, that's a great realization. Then that's the next step is to find someone, to find someone you trust, whether that's at your bank branch, whether it's just, you know, asking friends and family for referrals, for a, an advisor who will work with you, a coach who will work with you, or maybe it's if you don't want to work with a person, maybe you just want to do it totally online, that's looking into the many robo-advisors that you have at your disposal. That's just you answering a questionnaire online and having a, uh, you know, somebody create a portfolio based on your questionnaire. And if you have questions, you can call them or message them, right? And so... Small steps. You don't have to do all of that in a day, <laughs> but you can make a goal, say, by the end of the week that you're going to look into it and do something about it. You can bump up your automatic with um, your automatic savings plan, for example. You can call HR 
and set up a meeting. Yeah, you're right. It is a huge confidence booster when you take those small steps. Like I just opened my first TFSA and I was like, I should have done this a while ago, but I'm feeling (laughs) good about it. And I just had so much more pep in my step that day. And I felt super proud that I like went and talked to someone and took a step towards getting my shit together financially. Good. I'm glad. That's amazing. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, a TFSA is a tax-free savings account. And anybody over the age of 18 can open one and it is awesome. But I need to also preface that by saying it is not a savings account. (laughs) I I just need to make sure that I say that as an aside, guys. Um, It's called a savings account, but it's the, the power of it is that it's an investment account. So don't just open one up and stick money in, take money out and stick money in, take money out. If you want to use it to its advantage, put investments in there. So say you had a regular account that you were investing your money in. Um, Say you just bought some, um, say you bought a a mutual fund. So it's just like sort of a a very common kind of investment that a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. A mutual fund, we're like, what the heck is that? A mutual fund is just a basket of stocks. So just like a whole bunch of stocks in one. You just buy this one product. If your mutual fund is doing well and you it goes, you know, rises in value and you sell it, you pay taxes on the profits. But in a tax-free savings account, your investments would grow tax-free. So you don't pay taxes on it. So say you bought a stock, it doubled, you sold it, woohoo! You don't pay taxes on it because it was in your tax-free savings account. And so you want to use your tax-free savings account for investments and long-term savings. So don't put money in there that you need next year. Well, you can, but it's not the best use of that account. But put money in there that you'll need way later. So one of our favorite questions to ask our guests um, is, what is one thing that you wish you were taught in school? I just wish that there was more courses in school for people to teach you the the um, implications of of credit cards, for example, or of debt, or to teach me how to create a, a spending plan or a strategy for my money. I wish, definitely wish there was more of that. Agreed, agreed. But I do feel that much closer to understanding how to have a financial strategy after talking to you. So Absolutely. thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope everyone learned as much as we just did. Yeah. Um, and please tell everyone how they can follow you and find your work and learn from you as well. Absolutely. I Well, I did write a book. It's great. And it's so great. I've heard the that it's good, but it's called Happy. Like, <laughs> I love it. Yes. I'm glad. It's it's. I tried to make it as accessible and funny and relatable as possible. It's called Happy Go Money. It's available in all participating bookstores uh, around uh, in North America for sure. And uh, you can find me at melissaleong.com to find out more about um, just where I'm speaking and uh, where I've been, usually on TV or on radio, talking about money. And finally, social media, the only place that I can figure myself out is Instagram. So follow me at Liz Leong. Amazing. Thank you very much for, for having me. Thanks, Melissa. So there you have it, guys. We hope you're super inspired by Melissa's real talk about money. Slide into our DMs and Melissa's to keep us updated on how your financial journey is going. We'll leave you with a quote from the iconic Candace Bushnell, author and producer of Sex in the City. Remember, while there's a talent to making money, it takes real talent to know how to spend it. That's what she said. 
So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.